Welcome, everyone, to the Network Age. I am Bitchel Ritson here, not as always with my handsome co-hosts, just with Nilrun Mardux. Um, Timlik Miptev is going to be taking a brief pod hiatus. Don't worry, he's not gone forever to focus on developing everything great that's going on at Oakbar, and and I'm sure he's listening and and ranting and yelling, so we'll we'll get his... uh, his feedback and responses. But uh, I think we'll be lighter, faster, quicker than ever without him to weigh us down. And that's great because we have a really exciting guest coming on, Sam Frank of the Urbit Foundation, who's an absolutely fascinating dude. He comes from the New York literary scene, was involved in Ethereum before Ethereum really even launched and existed. So he, he's been around for a while and has a really interesting perspective. Uh, Nilrun, what are you excited to talk about with him? Yeah, a few things. I think he's a really good example of someone, I mean, he was both early into ETH and Urbit, which is kind of fascinating because that's what we've uh, kind of ultimately settled on, or I should say at least crypto as money and then Urbit as kind of the information layer. So yeah, I'm curious like how he was able to identify that because, you know, as Tim Luck is off building Ukbar, a lot of, you know, we're talking about these technologies, we're kind of seeing this vision for the network age evolving, but a lot of it, you know, depends on these technologies actually working. So it's really interesting to talk to someone like Sam who was, you know, uh, <laughs> interviewing Vitalik before the um, pre-sale for Ethereum, who was, you know, interviewing uh, Curtis when Curtis was canceled and before, you know, you could even really buy address space. So really interesting to see, like, why that was. And I'm also really fascinated to kind of get into this idea of community with him because he was also in the New York writer and art scene. And, you know, a lot of people in crypto are trying to recreate community. There's obviously Praxis. Aleph is taking a little bit more of an organic approach to it. So I'm curious what he's learned about um, sort of studying these communities and, you know, what could be applicable to Urbit as we go ahead. Yeah, I think he's someone who has a really interesting set of insights with respect to technology because he comes at it from a bit of a different angle, as you said, communities, but also interested in aesthetics and knowledge and how you put together information that is non-technical in a technical space and what sort of energy these places have. Yeah, and it also relates to this idea that I've been really fascinated with recently. Um, we're seeing like ChatGP3 kind of replacing Google for some use cases. Obviously, Microsoft just did a new Bing update that incorporates that. Um, and so it's this idea of like how we discover knowledge um, and kind of thinking about, you know, we're seeing the AI version, but I've yeah I've been really fascinated about how would you do it in a more decentralized peer-to-peer way. Maybe like communities have their own knowledge bases. And that's something Sam has thought a lot about. So yeah, really curious to dig into that as well. Yeah, so we'll get into all that. We'll get into Urbit. We'll get into some esoteric, metaphysical stuff as well, and it's uh, it's going to be an awesome conversation. Welcome back to the Network Age. I am here with our esteemed guest, Sam Frank of the Urbit Foundation, also known on Urbit as Totset Parteg. Uh, Sam, thank you so much for being here. We're really excited to have you. And... Um, before, before we get started, I'd, I'd love to give you uh, a chance to sort of talk about how you, you came to Urbit and a, a bit of your, your strange 
personal journey because I think everyone who ends up in Urbit has a has a bit of their own particular path there. Yeah, great to be here, guys. Yeah, my path is I got out of college. I went into publishing in New York, um, editing and writing. Uh, sort of patched my way through doing like freelance copy editing, and then in my mid twenties, twenty seven or so, started a magazine with online magazine with friends called Triple Canopy. Uh, that was sort of arts and literature. Uh, so that was never a full-time job, but we had a certain level of the art world for some reason took an interest in us and we, they started throwing money at us on a, on a relative scale and sort of bigger success than maybe we, I mean, part of us were like, yeah, we're going to fucking take over the world. And then it was also like, this is going to be a world side project that we will care about. And, you know, kind of neither of those happened. We, we, <laughs> we uh, had this weird kind of art world success that is both can feel really like the biggest thing in the world and also a drop in the bucket of, of what actually uh, makes a difference in, 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 in society. And, you know, while that was going on, I was also occasionally writing articles, essays, um, some things that are closer to fiction. Uh, I started to maybe five you know, in the early 2010s started to get a little tired of, of the New York and international art world discourse, para academia, this kind mm. of, it was getting really in, in, infected by, by some of the theory stuff that um, maybe is a little bit more familiar now. Um, you know, it was sort of quarantine in this corner of the art world. And that was sort of everywhere across, across uh, identity discourse and so on, you know, has its strengths, has its weaknesses, but it, it got a little, little tiring because I was in it for, I don't know, have a certain idea of like literature that, and how language works that was interesting to me and it got a little exhausting and yeah, kind of ended up poking around with this article that brought me out of Silicon Valley and to, brought me across Vitalik before Ethereum launched. And um, yeah, there was a Harper's article that came out in the mid, mid 2010s uh, that, that, yeah, I met Vitalik and actually I went, I took a bus up to Boston and he, uh, had these sunglasses in this bag that were, uh, when he put it on, he, he kind of looked like Arnold in the Terminator. So I have these photos of very, uh, he's probably not <laughs> even just 21. Just as jacked. Like, yeah. yeah. Just as jacked, uh, uh -huh. you know, from his little like knapsack, he took out these glasses and like, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that, that kind of brought me into crypto. Uh, you know, I'd heard about Bitcoin, but at that point, the money thesis wasn't that interesting. But, but some of the kind of thinking around how different communities and subcultures could make their own, make their own rules programmatically and, and their own safety nets and their own kind of uh, economies. And, that, and, and, and their like, early ideas around, around what DAOs could be was, was super interesting to me. And from there, I, I was looking for a follow-up to this piece and had been a bit aware of, of Urbit and of uh, Curtis Yarvin and Moldbug and his writing there and, and ended up getting in touch with, with him and Galen. Yeah, again, mid-late 2010s. And had an article that I, was, I, was, I, I, I wrote most of about Urbit and... and Moldbug, the, the political side of, of, of Curtis's writing. And 
that didn't end up happening for, for complicated reasons, but I, I had become friends with those two, Curtis and Galen, and by then, and ended up at a, it was called Urban Escape, I believe, which was a 2018 offsite for like friends of the project. And it was just really, um, the people there were really smart and really weird. And I ended up putting what remained of the little bit of money I'd put into the Ethereum presale into, into some urban address space and, you know, basically stayed in touch with the project. And, you know, a, a year and a half ago when the Urbet Foundation was, was finding its feet, um, Josh Lehman and, and some people from Tlon approached me to, to be the, the first board member just because I was, they trusted me at that point and I wasn't, you know, attached to any one project and I could, you know, help them get it set up. So, yeah, that's been my my sort of involvement. You know, like I'm not particularly technical, although I have I have a head for it to some extent. To the, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that brings us to today. Yeah. So you were obviously early to kind of at least get attracted to Ethereum, even though, as you say, you're not technical, and then obviously very early into getting attracted to Urban as well. So what's kind of what really like what was it that drew you in to both projects? Like what really caught your attention besides, was it mostly just seeing like really smart, motivated, idealistic people or were there, was there something else about it as well? I mean, there's that. And, you know, talking to Vitalik, he both had the kind of alien intelligence, but also had, it was clear, like a real integrity, which, some some brilliant mm. people don't necessarily have, you know, like he he really did feel like his values were there, even if they were very abstract. But yeah, I think it was the first principles thinking like he obviously had thought really deeply around, you know, he looked at Bitcoin, he'd run and banged his head against the problems of trying to build and extend Bitcoin and do other things. And then, you know, went back to the drawing board and, and came up with a more general framework. Now, you know, there might be problems with that. He might not have solved everything. Obviously, Ethereum, as it's tried to grow, has, you know, I'm, I'm still on the fence. It feels like a very, very engineered, maybe over-engineered project, but maybe he's, you know, so like Ethereum is still TBD, whether that's like the ultimate answer. And then I came across Urbit, and again, it was like, took a little while, but it really, I, I, I bought the thesis that, you know, 40 years of computers, there was a lot of crap accreted, and, <laughs> you know, we, we, had, we, had some, we had some insights into how to kind of start over and do it a lot more simply. So, yeah, there's that kind of, you know, you call it truth-seeking, call it also... You know, you get a lot of data and from there you can start simplifying like that, that, that kind of impulse, which, you know, is also in the arts. I believe, you know, sometimes like what literature can do or art or poetry is, you know, condense a whole ton of information, whether it's social information or, or otherwise into, you know, just a few lines. Yeah, I think in our um, past conversations and listening to a podcast that you were on, Crazy Wisdom, which we'll link to in the show notes, it seems like you are interested in the ways that people build 
bases of knowledge um, in communities. And you've talked about, you know, different projects being over-engineered or astroturfed or LARPing, to, to use some of the words you said, like trying to create something from scratch and not putting in the work as a community to, to develop the knowledge necessary to, to execute an idea. And I'm curious about that in the context of Urbit, if you feel like the way it's set up now and the technology lends itself to communities that are game for this type of in-depth exploration and knowledge building uh, as part of the building whatever technical future we have as well. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that Urbit is in a interesting place. You know, we've had about a year of third party or, you know, outside of Talon development, which means that, you know, for one thing, there are going to be a lot of different approaches to, to how to build on Urbit, you know, and there's just, you know, Talon is building new messaging. So is Ukbar, so is uh, Holium. You know, there are probably others and maybe these will all work. Maybe one of them will work. Maybe none of them will work, but, um, and so, you know, these are different corporate structures. They're different, um, internal discussions within the DAOs or communities that are, that are, that are building them. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that we we're speed running a lot of, uh, how this stuff works and what actually works. Cause you know, I think that we, we don't really know at this point, uh, the most productive way for decentralized communities that sometimes meet up in, you know, some mansion in El Salvador or, <laughs> You know, or whatever, you know, like, like, or the Bay Area or something like what, yeah, what, what, what the best way is to um, actually build, you know, like we're, we're figuring it out right now, like things are distributed and yet we also have a sense that, that geographic proximity is important and being in, meeting up in real life is important. Uh, it's a big experiment, but you know, it's, it feels pretty, pretty critical for the next few years to, to actually get some workable models and build some stuff. So what do you think has worked so far then in terms of this combination of, you know, in-person and digital communities? What do you think has been successful and what strikes you as promising directions to move forward? Or is it all just experimentation, throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say that, you know, like I'm, I'm a, a, I'm a lady fan, you know, and that, that seems like, no, I mean, not not entirely. I'm not 100% aligned with everything they're doing. But, you know, there's this thing, Romelia Co. And I, I don't know where they are. They're, they're, some of them are in New York and some of them are elsewhere. And, you know, they have an insane discord. And they've, they've kind of hit one wave of, 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 of memeology and then it kind of died out and now they're back. And, you know, just uh, in terms of, the vibrancy and the the kind of insanity of of the posting that it allows. I'm like something there is working now. You know, will they be around in, in five years? I have no idea. But you know, like you start, you take what you can get. And I guess like I want to dig in a little bit. You you mentioned it's so critical to get this working to kind of get communities working again. Like, and you had also mentioned just when you were kind of talking about your background, where the New York. Um, art scene felt like kind of small. So like, wh why is it so critical to you? Like, was it stagnation? Um, like, why does this have to be achieved? I guess, why do we need to figure out community? Like what's wrong with the current one? 
Yeah. Well, like to take a step back, like my parents moved to Soho in the mid seventies and that's when the New York art world such as it was, was, you know, in a, say a square mile or less of, of downtown New York. And then the rents got high going into the eighties and people mm. scattered to the East village and Brooklyn. Um, and by the time I got out of college in the early, you know, Oh two, uh, people were scattered and, you know, there were pockets in Williamsburg and this and that. Um, but, you know, rents were higher and people were, were trying to kind of keep the, the thing that had happened in so in the seventies alive. Mm. And it was, um, trickier, you know, like you have to, you couldn't work for five hours a week and make enough to pay the rent, you know? So like, it just, it became more professionalized and the life kind of was wrung out of it little by little just because of, uh, well, you know, rent was high. Uh, people were a little bit more spread out. They couldn't bump into each other in the street. Um, and, you know, still good art being made, but there was also a lot more reliance on patronage by like hedge fund dudes or something like that. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, isn't necessarily a bad thing either. It just changes stuff. And, you know, the, the common accusation from people on who are a little at a distance that all art now is money laundering is true and is not true. But certainly when, you know, when, when, when museums and, and art galleries rely on, yeah, international finance to, to buy the work, to keep a little bit trickling down to like artists just getting started, you know, the incentives are all just different from when you could yeah work five hours a week and, and, and pay your rent and do your crazy art. So I'm not sure I'm answering your question, but if you want to want to ask it again, maybe I can give you a little more concrete. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm curious, like what was kind of concretely lost. It's kind of sounds like the artists were then kind of driven um, not by the art, but by kind of a need to make money. And so I'm curious if like, um, you know, if, if that like kind of, if that can be like how that can be reversed with Urbit. Yeah, is, is Urbit, is the best version of Urbit a digital Soho where we're, I mean, the idea of running into people on the streets, I think is really wonderful to think about in an online context. Like you surround yourself with people that you're fascinated by, you know, challenged by, and you're able to combine that with the spontaneity of living in a neighborhood. Um, is that is that possible to replicate? Okay, I, I think I have a, a, way, a way in, a little bit of a metaphor, but a lot of what ended up happening in the arts when I was involved was almost equivalent to like second and third wave DeFi, where, you know, it's, it's creative. There are a lot of smart people doing this stuff, but it, it ends up becoming these uh, echo games where you're kind of doing incremental innovation and just piling on... Uh, you know, you're, 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 you're in a bubble. You're kind of like, like the main low hanging fruits been picked and you're just looking for incremental weird stuff and, and scams pile on. And it's like an insider's game. Uh, you know, that's great. You want to exploit and get like ring out every, every drop from the orange. But, uh, what you really need to do is, is put your heads together and say like, what actually is new? You know, like what, what haven't we done? You know, what would be an action next step forward? And I do think that requires like something like digital proximity or, or geographic proximity where you can just be like, okay, guys, we've had, we've had our fun, like 
playing insane DeFi games. Like, you know, what 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 actually is missing from here? What 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 actually kind of bring, bring, brings the next step? Um, yeah, and I think that I think that like the architecture and the culture of Urbit. You know, it's it's not perfect, but it's going to be. It has enough ground truth that that it's going to be less interested in cul-de-sacs, in my opinion. Um, there's just, you know, and if, if certain parts of Urbit, you know, end up in cul-de-sacs, um, there'll be other people come up and just be like, no, this, this, this is, this is new. I'm building something new. And, uh, then we'll move forward. I mean, remains to be proved, but like this sort of, this sort of, um, network of network architecture to me is what, um, will allow us to, stay out of blind alleys for long. Do you think that, I mean, there's so much hand-wringing among certain people in Urbit, especially those who have been around a long time, that any attempts to monetize Urbit or grow it or bring it to the masses will somehow corrupt what is special about it in the communities that are forming. I mean, on a you know, recent episode, Matt Liston was on and he, you know, he, he found that idea to be folly, right? He thinks we did the urban is ready and we need to push it. But do you think there's any credence to these ideas that there's something special that can be lost? Or do you believe that that can coexist with an attempt to bring urban to a large scale audience? Well, look, I mean, you don't want to make shitty software um, and totally scam, but I'm pretty much in agreement with Matt. I mean, you know, like a lot of my role at the Urbit Foundation in the past year, um, you know, was to push to do things like Urbit New York. You know, I, I kind of feel like it's time for Urbit to be messy in public. You know, get 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 used to fucking <laughs> used to embarrassing itself. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I I had a kind of embarrassing. You know, I, I had a good time, but I went on Red Scare and, you know. I was about to ask about that. <laughs> yeah, the girls, the girls laughed at me, you know, and, and like made fun of me and like I, I, I enjoyed it. And, you know, I, I think I was there to make as many mistakes in public as possible so that we can we can learn what, what works and what doesn't. You know, you you, you can like go in a room and, and, and come up with like your perfect solution, um, but then it has to hit the public and people have to respond. You know, you want to the kind of like minimum viable product, you know, uh, agile, whatever agile software development, or I I forget the, the, the term where you ship out something crappy and then iterate, you know, you don't want to like go for absolute crap, but you do want to like get this feedback loop going with, with, with actual users, with actual people, uh, you can't model in your head perfectly. So I think like, that's where we're at, like moving faster, getting exposed to, both a whole number of devs and then also like, you know, quasi normies who are like interested in Urbit, aren't technical, you know, hit edge cases and are just like, I'm not bought into your program. Like this isn't working for me. You know, I'm not, I'm not an ideologue. This is kind of where we're getting to. And if we want to, you know, break through and have people have more money come into the ecosystem so more people can build and more people can make a living doing this, this just has to happen and you have to tear off the bandaid um, and fuck up. I mean, I, I enjoyed your appearance on Red Scare because I think you, you brought two things to, to that, you know, admittedly like difficult interview environment that were necessary, which is both conviction and humor. Right. And I think the idea of making mistakes in public is um, powerful and it's OK if you can 
deal with it and then also believe in what you're talking about, right? Um, I mean, I uh, sitting uh, above my my toilet is Emil Chorin's book, The Trouble with Being Bored, and I, I spend a, a lot of time with it. Um, and one you know one Chorin quote I've used on the pod before that always sticks with me is. All our all our greatest evils are committed out of enthusiasm, and that um, sort of made me has stuck with me and made me sort of skeptical of people with a lot of conviction. And then I was reading it yesterday, and there's an almost contradictory quote about um, skepticism being like a scourge of passivity. And if we're only doubting, if we're only asking questions, then it's Im- impossible to move forward. And so I think that there's kind of an interesting force at play with with Urbit and the Normies where. Um, you end up the conviction battles skepticism and that battle is going to occur somewhere in public. And I, I, it makes sense to me that if you do that with humor and I don't know, parties and, and something cool and, uh, and fun that you can actually make some progress there instead of everyone just slamming their heads against each other. Um, I'm not sure if I have a question. I was just sort of Think, thinking out loud there, but I, I, I guess what I'm saying is I, I was surprised by the like Red Scare appearance and some of the Urbit NYC stuff at first because it's so unusual for a tech company. But the more I think about it, the more it makes sense as a way to broach like complex ideas in, a, in an environment that people are going to be interested to hear about them. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it was sort of like my thesis, and I've I've had this since Triple Canopy days. You know, we we put out this magazine that people read or didn't read, and we threw good parties. You know, like we threw parties where people ran into each other who hadn't seen each other in years. You know, people came out of there dating or maybe they got married out of there. Um, like you can't fake a good party uh, on some level. <laughs> but you, you, you can ask her to invite, you can pay models to be there, you can do whatever, but like, it's going to be lame. And, you know, then there are parties where you're just like, what is happening? This is like, why are all these people in this one place? And yet it's good. And so it was sort of like, okay, the test of Urban right now is to see whether we can throw some good parties and people show up and are like, wow, this is like New York fashion week or something was happening at the time. And, uh, you know, people were leaving their fashion week parties to come to some random urban rooftop party. And, it's like, okay, yeah, for this weekend, we've won. Um, now, does that create anything sustainable? Not, not really. Um, you know, you, trying to chase being cool uh, is a recipe to waste all your money and to, you know, you know, end up in a pile of your own vomit or something like that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's still, still like as a kind of like gut check to say, is this thing, does it have legs? Are people interested and they don't know why? Yeah, it's valuable on that level. Um, you don't want to do this all the time, but but once every every year or two, or once every six months somewhere, I think I think there's something to it. And it also, you know, it's nice when you're like a an urban dev who's been head down and suddenly like you're the king of the party for one night. Like it's good for morale. Yeah. Have, have there been any uh, Urbit marriages yet? Like, you know, met via Urbit and, yeah. and are now building the next generation? I did see a tweet by um, uh, one, one Urbit dev who, a little notorious, and he said that 
on New Year's, a girl decided to make out with him because, because he's an urban dev. So I, I think I saw that as well. Great yeah. news. Hope so, for all of us. Yeah. I do also know of a few relationships as well now. So, yeah, the KPIs, they're not quite at, like, the New York art scene level yet, but, uh, you know, there's, there's hope. And I think, <laughs> I think there's something fascinating where, Sam, you mentioned just, you know, what really what got you to buy Stars, right, was that Urbit offsite. Um, just for like kind of early members and how you were just struck by the community. Because it's it's interesting, you know, that that was sort of a similar um, entry point for me, just coming in, hanging out in Mexico City. Uh, Librex came through, the editor of the Mars Review, um, Sarpin, Tondas, uh, Tim Luck was there. So there's a bunch of herbiters there. And I was just like, man, these people are like smart. I wonder if, you know, if I go meet more of them, if I'm going to have that same impression. And so I go to Austin, Texas, meet you know, Tacrit, um, meet a bunch of other herbiters there and then go to Miami uh, for the Bitcoin Miami meetup where it just so happened that there were a bunch of herbiters. And it's just like, I was struck by the community, but I, I've been kind of reflecting on that, you know, running this Aleph house in El Salvador, um, just like, what is it that kind of drives alignment in the group? Just, I don't know, kind of, maybe it's overthinking it, but what I've been struck by is just this like really strong ideology and belief that like Urbit is going to lead to more truth and that if urban is built, um, it can kind of overcome issues with the current system. Like there seems to be this dissatisfaction with just like one accepted narrative of true and that people want to kind of explore and debate and they want to discuss. And that's, that's why when urbiters get together, it seems to be, there seems to be so much energy. Like whenever I go to an urban event, you know, no one's bored. Everyone's talking until like, you know, late into the next morning. So I'm curious, just like what your sense has been like, is this, are they, are they hitting at things that are, that are, can get to this level of like KPIs where people are having really good friendships and discussions? Like what sort of, what do you see as kind of driving that? Well, I mean, definitely the truth seeking thing is, is huge. And that can mean a lot of different things. I think I talked to this, to Justin Murphy about this, like a year and a half ago after the assembly in Austin, um, you know, there it was like, the number of herbiters who are orthodox or tradcath or, or, or something, you know, where like they have the, the truth seeking and the metaphysical part of their lives as well. And, you know, they're, they're in this sort of postmodern or post trad morass, mm. um, trying to kind of reconstruct, uh, meaningful structures in their lives on kind of all levels, you know, whether it's family, whether it's religion, whether it's, um, technical, uh, infrastructure. Um, and you know, there's something also where this truth seeking can like come in at least two forms. There's one where there's like a single, a single deep truth that unifies everything. Um, you know, which might be, you know, the, the, the core of urban that fits in a t-shirt. Um, and then there's also like the more local truth where, mm -hmm guys, you know, in a house in El Salvador have a different truth from, uh, you know, Paul Deck, uh, Anthony from, from the, you know, who, who is in Kansas and is like interested in, you know, having an urban back end for like his raw milk co-op or something like that. You know, like these are, these are different local truths that, you know, are just different for a guy with, with a kid in, in Kansas and for single devs in El Salvador, you know, in a house like the, uh, they're both equally true, but they're not, they're not globally true. Uh, so I think that 
something that supports both kinds of, of truth seeking, um, you know, is is what Urbit is seemingly uh, evoking in, in 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 people as I meet them. They're like, oh wow, like this is this is good, you know, like that 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 kind of feeling of like I don't know what this is exactly, but like yeah, I I, I need this somehow. Uh, that 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 feeling is is I don't know. I think that's like always like a good a good uh, orientation point when you get that feeling of like yeah. Like, yeah. And, and it's, it, it's sort of like, it's almost pre-verbal. It's like, hmm. yes. Okay. Let, let me, let me, let me spend more time with this to kind of figure out what that yeah actually means. Yeah. I've been reflecting on like, you know, going into what that yeah is. And I think something you mentioned on a different podcast that was really fascinating was this kind of correct statement. I think that, you know, there's been this breakdown of the internet to some extent, like, you know, Lex Freeman posts his uh, reading list and it's like, this looks really AI generated. And I think you had commented, which, you know, feels correct, um, that like, it would have been better to just ask your friend to have an actual community and ask your friend like, hey, what book should I read? And not like, and that there's been this failure basically of, you know, you could call it Google or maybe it's ChatGPT3 to actually improve on what you could be getting from friend networks. And that like knowledge discovery actually you know, hasn't really improved on the internet and we've hit sort of like a local maximum there. So I'm, yeah, I'm curious, like what your take there is like, are we just, should we be searching maybe more locally within communities and can that like perhaps replace this more, Hey, Google it approach that was dominant for about, you know, the last 20 years or so. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I heard Trent from Holium on, on maybe it was crazy wisdom and he was sort of suggesting that, you know, one future for AI could be, you know, within your community, it's, it's just sort of helping you surface the knowledge that's already been, been, been discussed in the community, but might be like lost to the back scroll, you know, versus having a more kind of, uh, a more, you know, thoroughgoing AI that runs everything and makes all your decisions for you. Mm -hmm. And like this actually, and I, I think when we talk about like what search on Urban will be, um, these kind of things, um, yeah, there, there, there are ways of kind of improving, improving it locally and not trying to make it all encompassing, but just sort of, it's like, oh man, I had this conversation like, you know, in the past six months and like, it's not quite close to hand, uh, oh, like, just, just like you know, the experience you have when you you you're searching your browser history for something that was in the middle of a, a web page you read, um, it's not in the title, and you're like, oh man, I know I read this on the internet somewhere in the past three months. Why can't I find this link? Yeah, and it's just the most frustrating thing. So you know, just like a a basic AI or search that helped you with that would be, I don't know, it would scratch that itch for me at least. Um, so yeah, I think I think there's like. It doesn't need to be a universal knowledge search. Like we, there, that's FOMO. There's not enough time in the world to to learn everything on the internet. Um, it feels that way now because the internet's gotten boring. So you can like sort of find all the interesting stuff. <laughs> you know, truly, truly, you're not going to read every book that is good. You know, unless you know maybe if you spend four years doing like a classic education, you can read at least a fraction of the great books with a capital G, capital B. But you know, there's, there's too much out there. So, 
Yeah, anything that kind of calms that that compulsive hoarder FOMO and just gives you the stuff that actually feeds you at that moment. And then you trust that, you know, when you've eat, eaten that meal, that there's another one that you can find what you need when you need it. You don't need to accumulate. I think that's going to that's going to be good. Uh the form that takes remains to be seen, but but I think that that's what what interests me and what I think will be very valuable if we can figure that out. Sam, I'm wondering, um, where are you spending your time on Urbit these days? And is is Urbit something that plays a role in your daily life or is it something you're you're checking in on? I'm just it seems to have fill a different niche for for people depending on what phase of their life they're in. And I'm curious as someone who professionally represents Urbit to to some degree, is it a big part of your daily community, the way you are building knowledge in this way, or is that still something that's aspirational? Yeah. Uh, it's a mix. Like I am in a few groups, um, you know, with, with, with the sort of, uh, groups too, some of them become a lot less active than they were two months ago, but I have this one group called Hermetica with, with, with pull deck and that is esoteric chat. And there's some, very interesting weirdos from around the world who show up and they, they, they know some interesting stuff. And it's a, the volume is such that I can go in there for five minutes a day, catch up on the back scroll. You know, sometimes I'll have something to say, sometimes I won't. And that feels good. I, I kind of just like having something I check for five minutes a day. It feels like it doesn't take over my life. I go in there. Maybe this is calm computing as, as, as Plon likes to talk about, but it's just like, yeah, this is a manageable amount of information. I recognize the the APs. Um, you know, it feels like we're we're friends, even though we've only a few of us have met in person. Um, and there are a few other groups like that. And then I'm I'm like probably a lot of a lot of people who are kind of like waiting for uh, the next wave of urban apps to become something that really fits into my life. You know, like I played with theirs that. Urbit word processor uh, via Holium. And I played with that. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool, but it's not where I'm writing on a given day-to-day basis. Maybe in a few months it will be. So yeah, maybe it's the Urbit productivity suite. Maybe it's um, something from Mookbar Holium or from Plan or another a third party that really, I'm like using this every day. I, I, I have a sense that'll happen in the next six months. Um, it hasn't happened for me yet. So, you know, like a lot of us, I'm, I'm, I'm keyed into the urban discussions on Twitter. Um, I, I talk on the phone or on Zoom to, to people or text with them about, about things that should happen. Um, yeah, we're in this kind of weird period where it feels like a lot's coming down the pipe, but we're not quite sure whether that's tomorrow or six months from now. Yeah, I think it goes to that saying that, like, the current use case of Urbit is building Urbit. Yeah, for sure. But then I think... Uh, but I think like there's something really fascinating where people get so much fulfillment building Urbit and it, I don't know, it just seems like, you know, we talked to Joss Rosenthal, he was also at um, our second assembly, right? And he was talking about this kind of crypto renaissance that really resonated with network age and kind of our thesis that like, you know, you combine crypto as money with decentralized computing, something like Urbit and Urbit's so much further along than anything else in that space, that you get this kind of change. But it feels like we're at this point where... Um, you know, 
Urbit in this analogy would be like the printing press in 1500, but we're still building it. So we're talking about, you know, we've been talking about when we get this amazing digital printing press, how it's going to solve our lives and make them much better. Um, but we're still at this point where we're still building it and it's not there yet. It hasn't launched. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm thinking, you know, with what Matt Liston said, where, you know, I think it, it does seem ready to at least be shilling this idea of like when we have a digital printing press, like the impact of that. And when we can have personal AIs, you know, running on our orbit that are actually useful to us and not just trying to drain our time and, and suck our attention. Um, so it feels like there's, I'm kind of curious, like your evolution on the Urbit Foundation, you know, you mentioned um, Urbit New York. I'm kind of curious, like where kind of the current strategy is and, and like how we get kind of this message across of the transformative potential of when you get Urbit um, out there and how it can shift things. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of what needs to happen in the next uh, six months to a year, you know, there's the foundation is taking out a, a bigger role in core development, um, which is great. But then there's like the education slash marketing slash communication side. You know, I, I feel like urban messaging keeps improving every few months, but we all have a sense that uh, there's another iteration or two to really start communicating concisely to more people about what this is good for today or what this will be good for in three months. Um, so I think that, uh, yeah, that, that, that'll need to happen. And, you know, I think there are also things on the, I don't want to call it the product side, but they're like, there's like low hanging fruit that whether it's Tlan or the foundation or someone else, we could polish and, you know, have out there in a few months if we did it right. Like for instance, you know, I think sigils look cool, but there's a whole wave of, of, of generative art that's happened since then, you know, whether Fidenzas or, or whatever, um, you know, there's like opportunities just for urban sigils or urban uh, NFTs, say, to represent subcultures, you know, stars and their, their associated planets, galaxies and their associated stars, you know, bring out that tribalism that is so powerful, mm. whether it's Miladies or apes. Um, you know, and it feels like we have the primitives already built in. We have, you know, this network architecture that could really be you know, I could imagine an NFT builder who's like, okay, I, I want to, I'll buy a star. I have a 65K NFT set. Um, I want it to be visual and people to see immediately that like they're part of this tribe. Um, you know, and, and just having like a platform for that, you know, seems like, you know, I don't know how long it would take to build or to market, but something like that, you know, that came out could just be a whole wave that would, uh, you know, really make the experience for NFT builders better and, and would, would, would drive a ton of organic interest on Twitter and elsewhere. Um, and I feel like if you kind of dig into all the things that are basically latent or fallow in, in the urban primitives, uh, you could find 10 or 20 more examples of things that, uh, you know, focus attention and resources over just a few months could really, um, any of these things could be entry points for people. Uh, now, I'm not technical enough to know whether that's actually true or just my fantasy, but it, it, feels like, <laughs> it feels like there's just a lot of, you know, rich soil waiting to be mined and, and low-hanging fruit to be picked. Um, I know Ubar is, is, is focused on a ton of that, but there, there's more than just that, you know, and, and, you know, the other thing is, is getting 
with the next wave of, of money into the ecosystem. You know, like we're at this this place where the OGs are a little bit tapped out. Um, you know, there's 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 bigger money is poking around or sort of interested, but you know, crossing that you know crossing that bridge where where you know some money comes in and and accelerates the process versus you know kind of cockroaching along for another another number of years. You know, we're at this critical moment where where resources could really be put to use in a number of different places to really um, accelerate things. Uh, maybe I lost I lost the track of your question, but maybe that's helpful. Yeah, no, we've we've been having similar discussions just in my friend group as well, where it's you know Matt Liston kind of got at that too, where it's like you have so much more. Urban is such a it's so much further along. Like Matt was talking about, like it's further along than ETH in a lot of ways. Um, but it just sort of has lacked that, I don't know, incentives. And maybe that's because it predates crypto, right? Like, or it predates crypto. So it hasn't necessarily, you know, incorporated some of those lessons from NFTs, from just like um, improved incentive models that DeFi kind of came up with. And so it, it's felt like, you know, this incredibly advanced project that's looking for ways to be like investable. That's, that's kind of the interesting part, you know, they can pull in that capital. And I think, to be clear, I agree with you that um, I think it'll proceed regardless, but I think it, it is interesting where it's so rare within Web3 where you have a project where if you just put money in, it would proceed very quickly and thoroughly. And whereas the norm within Web3 is, you know, people are shilling something that doesn't even have anything behind it, a project that doesn't have any real code or, or real reason to exist behind it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and to all the NFT experts out there, definitely Urvid uh, is open to play with, for sure. Sam, I'm curious, you know, we've we've obviously been talking about Urbit for a while. Are there other projects that you feel similarly attracted to? Um, anything that has really sparked your interest outside of Urbit or Ethereum? Or do you really feel like this is where your mental energy is? You know, as I said, I, I continue to be impressed with the culture and the innovation around the ladies. I mean, I do want to see them, you know, do the next thing. But, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed that they bounce back and they actually starting to feel like they're going to kill everything except maybe the, 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 the top five NFTs, you know, they're, like they're a top five kind of project. Um, but, you know, like that's that's a little bit vicarious I and mean, I'm not. I don't feel the urge to, you know, join their Discord and hang out with. <laughs> um, you know, I can just be an old guy who's who's appreciative of of something. Uh, you know, one of the only NFTs where I can keep looking at the collection and staying interested, which to me is a mark of decent art. At least, you know, I get bored by all the other stuff. You know, these stupid apes. Um, yeah. Beyond that, like I, I'm not really focused on digital stuff so much and uh you know most of my my energy goes into like i don't know it, you know it's maybe an investment thesis maybe it's not but like i you know spend time looking at like esoteric you know like you know the the, the psychic abilities that built the pyramids kind of stuff you know like if that's true or not like i'm like okay you know this this is like the real technology shit you know like if, if we can <laughs> bring this out of the the collective unconscious back back into reality that'll be interesting you know cold fusion you know stuff that's ufo tech which is you know 
to me consciousness based not like not like some advanced physics even but like something else that has no place in our current you know, 20th century paradigms of even like the most advanced physics um and that's you know maybe i'm just diddling around you know reading reading uh sci-fi larp stuff and and listening to crazy hippies who've had you know uh, been visited by uh light beings from zeta reticuli or something like that but you know i think there's something there uh but you know, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, say that's an investment thesis. Maybe it's just my own personal, you know, weird journey I'm on right now. Where uh, you're investing your personal time and energy in that, which is, you know, in many ways more important than where your capital is going. I mean, you is this what you are writing about when you're not writing using Urbit? I was is curious because you know you used to do things close to fiction and reporting and. You know, you mentioned writing, but I, I, is this where that energy is going? Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's been basically a research project that now I am feeling finally ready to actually turn turn into writing. You know, it's been about five years of of going down this rabbit hole, which is then many rabbit holes because, um, and a lot of it is like, where do I begin? Because you know, there are people who don't believe this at all. Other people who've had little tastes of it. They've done psychedelics. They've done this or that. Uh, you know, I think it'll, it'll be basically be me having to tell my personal journey. I hate that word in this context, but with, with <laughs> my, my opening to the fact that some of this stuff might be true, even though it seems like the most insane woo. And uh, yeah, so that's sort of what I've been... Uh, focusing on how do I tell this story and I don't want to speak too soon, but I think I'm going to be putting out a lot around this over the next year. Um, definitely an article. I have a sub stack that I would like to get going again. And then I do want to start, uh, actually getting some, some books done. So we'll see, you know, I, I, it's, it's right now it's all just like, uh, empty talk, but you know, I'll, I, I should give some, some evidence that I'm still a writer, you know. <laughs> and empty talk is incredibly important, I think, for for getting getting yourself back in the game. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, 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 hold hold my feet to the fire, people. Anyone listening to this, like, yeah, uh, yeah. Now, now I, I don't let me be a fucking bullshitter anymore. So we'll, we'll call you back on for like a struggle session, shaming yeah. if there isn't anything out in a couple months. Um, well, I, speaking of some of those ideas, one of the. Um, Things you formulated on the on the Crazy Wisdom podcast that seemed most appealing to me was in talking about, you know, some of your encounters or other people's with the esoteric, with things that might be difficult to explain, whether that's psychedelics or UFO experiences or even um, conspiracy theories and things like that. You and and tell me if I'm re-saying this wrong, but I, it seemed like you were saying that a lot of times when people devote themselves to a worldview that seems irreconcilable to ones that might be in the majority, um, you discussed going to a UFO conference and um, someone having like QAnon but, uh, theories, but with UFOs at the top, that sometimes it's not that they're, you know, totally whacked out, but that they've perceived something that is irreconcilable with what they're told in most of their daily life. And because they can't 
square the circle that this new experience ends up replacing the totality of of the accepted version of of reality when in fact that a lot of times these experiences are you know glimpses into some other sort of truth that you know ha- fits in more like a puzzle piece with the things what mo- what most of us would claim to understand and i i found that really interesting in the context of something like urbit which you know does have political communities does have an interest in reinterpreting the way that um most of us understand reality and interact with each other as as we're we're struggling to find meaning in places and some people are totally giving up on our on what most people say and going off into far distant lands and some people are trying to integrate those worlds together and um I, I'm curious as you do this this writing on this you know esoteric uh exploration, does it feel like there's overlap with what is happening in urban and the way and maybe ways that people are trying to build a new political aesthetic reality as well? You know, one thing that uh, appeals to me about, about what Curtis did when he spent a decade building the kernel for Urbit, and, you know, the way I see similarities to what I'm trying to do is, you know, he took in, a you know, 40 years of data that seemed messy. You know, everyone has their opinions about, you know, how to do AWS or, you know, like all the kind of deep complexity and, and camps in current computing, you know, you could say he did the same thing in political theory and he's like, okay, take a step back. Actually, if you kind of, these are just like branches and little leaves on the tree and we actually need to go to the trunk. We need to go to the roots and like, see what like is actually at the core of all this and strip away all this like argumentation that doesn't actually touch it like the root issue. Um, You know, I, I think you know, there's a lot of argumentation, you know, where people are like, I'm trad, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. And like, they're, they're again, some like arguing a little bit like too far up the trunk. Um, now I'm not going to like provide the ultimate answer to anything, but I, I am like pretty interested in, 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 and Urbit, I think has done this to some extent of, 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 you know, going, going a little bit deeper so that you get to the root that then generates all the all the all the the, the branches eventually. Um, like if you can kind of go a layer or two deeper, uh, you give people um, something more generative to like start start forming local answers. Um, that's a little bit less again in cul-de-sacs. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I'm answering your question. Who who is who's even sure what I asked exactly? <laughs> um, I this this locality though is interesting. I mean, it keeps coming back to communities in some way, which I think is really interesting for a tech project because that seems to be one of the major crypto buzzwords, especially for something like NFTs, right? There were we're creating digital communities, we're democratizing things, people are interacting with each other. And then the more you dig into it, the more empty that seems, because it doesn't actually place people in connection with each other, except in the pursuit for money. And I think that's something I appreciate about Urbit is it's, it seems to connect people for the value of connecting people. Um, 
And I discussed this with you a little bit before, but in my recent life, you know, I've moved to Montana away from New York and tried to escape some of the same scenes that you were involved in and prioritize spending a lot more time in, in nature. And I think that working in the tech industry, there's been an interesting balance about how do you prioritize things that are not related to being on the computer, that are not related to technology or work or money at the same time that you try to push those parts of the industry towards your own values. And I think, do you, I mean, as, as someone who, who values clearly interpersonal life and local communities, how do you balance something like, like being on the Urban Foundation, which requires you to promote and spend a lot of time on the computer and, and potentially placing veils between yourself and the physical world around you? Yeah, I mean, I, it's also like local versus international. And, you know, like I, I left New York, I moved to, I moved to a similarly rural mountain west area, you know, very small town. Um, I have Starlink, you know, so I, I, there's a way to, you know, do 80%, you know, local and then 20% networked. Um, something like that, I think is, you know, approaching a, a healthy balance. Um, it still can feel, I can still get sucked into my phone looking at Twitter, Instagram and come out the other side feeling like what happened to two hours, you know, like that happens to me all the fucking time. And uh, how do we stop it? <laughs> how do I not do that? Uh, yeah. I mean, in the end, like there are, there are technical things that help, but it is like about self-discipline and, and, and awareness or, or something kind of quasi Buddhist, you know, where you, you have to be aware of what's of what you're doing to yourself, but certainly we can um, eliminate some of the worst incentive structures in terms of doom scrolling and so on. Uh, you know, people have to take personal responsibility for their own their own shit as well. But 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 yeah, getting rid of some of the most toxic stuff is. Uh, and I think I think Urbit's economic incentives are just more various, so it's possible to build that. Whether people will choose to install the the calm computing orbit or the or the hyper stimuli orbit uh remains to be seen yeah and i think it's still an open question of like what the time divide between you know if we have this like digital soho how much of that time are people going to spend online versus you know in person in their local environment and you know it's i think you know earlier on maybe like a year ago it felt like it was going to move more digital like digital first now it feels like a lot of people are kind of spending more of their time back IRL and kind of like it, it doesn't feel like the sort of digital soho is like there yet and so i don't know i've been kind of playing around with seeing just like um yeah, how often people like groups want to get together, right? So we have the Volcano Summit coming up for urban developers in a month. Um, so that'll be really awesome. And we're doing a Buenos Aires trip um, in mid-April. But I've been really, yeah, just kind of like eager to kind of both talk to other people who are living this sort of semi-networked life, you know, living in Montana or, you know, between Montana and New York um, or living abroad and just kind of figure out like, you know, how do you build, what is that network city going to look like? And, you know, how do you kind of grow it? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's just, 
very interesting, you know, and some of it comes down to jurisdictional stuff. I mean, you know, what El Salvador offers versus what Costa Rica offers versus what, you know, Texas or Nevada offers, um, Wyoming, you know, but also people prefer certain climates and they prefer certain dating scenes and, you know, coffee shops and, and, and other stuff. Uh, it's, we're, we're at this moment where like, we don't know, you know, Kiev seems great and then it's at war and people have to leave and scatter. Uh, it's going to be crazy. And, you know, there's also just like people predicting collapse in different ways. And like, what's the safest place to be? Is it, is it in the middle of the middle of Montana where, yeah, you're in America, but like, who's going to come really and like pursue you in the middle of Montana or is it, is it an else? Well, you know, like, like the U S government hates and would love to probably coup if they could, or is it, you know, somewhere else, you know, like it's, yeah. it's you know, you're just placing your bets and trying to keep your options open, but also trying I mean, to put down and make yourself at home. Sam, you know, uh, I thought that I had potentially escaped, um, invasion and bombings in Montana, but I saw a map recently of the <clears throat> most likely targets in the U S and Montana's right up there. Cause we have all the nukes buried in our, in our backyard. So I'm actually, I'll be the first one to go. Yeah. Yeah. You just gotta, you know, like pray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is some some encouragement to go on my own metaphysical esoteric journey before it's too late and find find my peace i think yeah just you know well you know know that it's going to work out in the end and also that you're never born you know <laughs> yeah that's yeah exactly exactly i i agree with that <laughs> well uh on that note never being born never dying getting blown out of uh, the Montana skies. Uh, I'd like to thank you, Sam, for, for joining us and, and talking Urbit and Esoterics and New York. And this was a really fun conversation. So, so thanks again. Yeah, uh, great talking, guys. Uh, see you later in an undisclosed location. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll make sure to, to have you back on to either discuss your magnum opus or uh, shame you into creating it soon. Yes. Thank you. Uh, my soul thanks you. And uh, <laughs> I don't know what this came to mind, but uh, there was a San Francisco punk band called Flipper, post-punk band, and uh, they'd get on stage and the singer would say, uh, we've suffered for our art. Now it's your turn. <laughs> good. That's good. I like that. All right. Well, uh, to our listeners, uh, I hope that suffering was, was as good as it can be. And we'll see you next time on The Network Age. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Network Age. It'll really help us to keep getting our ideas out there, getting you know great guests, and giving you what you want if you can just help us with a few things. Uh, subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, give us a good rating if you liked it. You know, Hit that five stars. And our Twitters are in the show notes for me, Bitchell, and Nilrun. So follow us, retweet, promote the show, and we will keep giving you that amazing Network Age content that you love. <laughs>